Welcome, everyone, to your Falcon and the Winter Soldier podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. What's going on, Pete? I really think I'm invaluable. Falcon and the Winter Soldier podcast by Fantastic Geek for Episode 3, The Power Broker, is brought to you by Zemo Airlines In-Flight Food. If it doesn't pass the smell test, feed it to your friends. Pete, as we look ahead to the future, just want to say that our poll on patreon.com slash fantastic geek is now open to all. What will we podcast for the six weeks between Falcon's end and Loki's launch? Currently, Pete, for the first time in literally forever, maybe not literally, (laughs) but in seemingly forever, the podcast gods and goddesses have not offered us a Star's War nor Trek and obviously, with the pause in Marvel stuff, no Marvel in May. Uh, Pete, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Really looking forward to hear what they think we should cover during that time period, Pete. So whether you are Madra rich or Madra poor, Matt, get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Vote in that poll. But Matt, I hear a drop coming up. jump on into this episode with the teaser really a commercial mat for the global repatriation council uh because so much has changed and we need to help people back to jobs and navigating changes like society laws borders their uh catchphrase here at the end seen very late in the episode outside the grc Supply Depot, Reset, Restore, Rebuild, uh, done with all the care of a pharmaceutical ad and really nailing the tone uh, a la Watchmen on HBO when they did the fake commercial. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's funny. I left my daughter saying, "This is fake, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's part <laughs> of the show." She's like, "But this is still a fake thing, right?" I'm like, "Yes." None of us blipped away. They're talking about coming back after the blip. Um, if nothing else, Pete, I think it serves to hammer home a point you had made in a previous podcast, which is you know, maybe yes or no, the GRC is the big bad of the season. Certainly, there's this force that the GRC represents that's in the background. I mean, look, obviously, it's what Carly's fighting against and what is backing Captain B. America and all of that, but just kind of it, it brings it to the forefront just a little bit more in a way that really, really makes sense plus it lets us pivot from grc reset restore rebuild to the grc polizai with (laughs) captain america coming out of the police style van um and where are they i kind of love the mystery here i'm kind of get some vaguely central or eastern european sense with polizai but uh turns out that they are in the german hostel in mar-a-lago i mean munich (laughs) <laughs> um and pete this is the 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 hostile host who we saw last time what with them chicken livers yes and does he know who uh diet captain america is yes he does and he doesn't care which is <laughs> just, just great uh, of course after um walker has had his face expectorated in here 
Uh, but it's Hoskins, and I love that he's the voice of reason now when we see Walker, who's pointing out that shaking down this loyalist, hostile owner is a waste of time, that, uh, you know, these displaced people being helped has created a lot of loyalty. It's references here to Langley, so now we know the CIA is involved and that Hoskins has some form of connection with them. Uh, but that Carly must be funneling something uh, from someone that Walker can't see. Because in addition to being strong and a symbol, right, Matt, Steve Rogers could see everything. It really is just a very effective way to contrast John Walker with Steve Rogers. I mean, you think of all the times that Steve Rogers was unsuccessful, including Pete. I think there was this thing in Wakanda where they were super successful. Um, but here, you know, Walker is frustrated at not walking on the field and automatically winning. Um, we have Hoskins, of course, uh, reminding him that uh, she's created loyalty by handing out medicine and water. Um, and we get the, the nicely written line here that Walker wants to bet on someone with a better hand. With that, we cut to Sam and Bucky about to, Z, to see Zemo, uh, or I guess Zemo, Zima, it's all connected, I don't know. Um, but of course, that the direct handoff from last week's episode. Uh, Bucky says that he's going to go in alone. After all, Zemo would not trust an Avenger, and he, uh, Zemo, and Bucky have a history. We see Bucky buzzed in. And uh, Zemo starts to say those code words. Bucky, of course, saying those days are still over. Uh, but Zemo wants to see how he acted to them. So while Pete, I don't know that we're going to get, oh no, the Winter Soldier has returned uh, in actuality. We certainly see Zemo, the unpowered man, using his one great asset, his brain. And we see Sebastian Stan using his superpower, the staring and as the words are said there, there's just the tiniest, most subtle uncertainty across his face. Does he know that they're not going to work? And of course, Zemo says that uh, he can still see something in there. So definitely something to chew over a little later in the podcast. Uh, he apologizes, Zemo does. And Matt, an another big question is, is this the beginning of the Zemo redemption tour? I think it's a good question. I think that, to my mind, Zemo is the second most effective MCU villain after Thanos, which is saying something. Zemo is also, as I, as I mentioned before... All he's got is his brain. Okay, it helps that his superpower is also being rich, to quote another property. Um, but the fact that he is someone who is really, truly fighting for the common person, yes, that made him a villain in Civil War. It made him the inciting force in Civil War. Is Zemo a bad guy? I mean, not all he wants, Pete, is revenge for, you know, the fact that his family was killed. That's decent motivation, see Batman at all. Um, I wouldn't mind a Zemo redemption tour. Would I be completely surprised if the second half of the series, you know, now he's machine gunning down people in the hospital ward and whatnot. I wouldn't be completely surprised. Or we could hang on to Zemo as an ongoing character and kind of indeed take him on this redemptive tour. 
So apologizing here, he says that it was never personal that he saw the Winter Soldier merely as a means to the end uh, to, to breaking up the Avengers. But given the news here that someone's recreated the Super Soldier serum, uh, oh, you must assume, uh, James, that this is Hydra, which is why it came to me, which means you're desperate, but he know, knows where to begin. And then framed really well at the beginning of this episode is this incongruous scene of Sam and Bucky with flashlights in a location that Sam doesn't know. And uh, then Bucky explaining there's a little bit of exposition necessary, whether you're entering here or you've seen the films, that uh, Zemo has a code that he will mess with uh, Bucky's mind if they let him out, um, that he blew up the UN, that he killed T'Chaka, Matt, that they, they give you that at the beginning of this episode with the way that it ends, um, and that he framed Bucky. Do you think the Wakandans forgot? Um, and then the hypothetical from, hey, what are you reading? Machiavelli. Oh, now let me walk you through. Well, what if this were to happen, Sam? Pete, I always wonder with scenes like this, did they script it this way? Did they come up with it in the edit? This is the longest episode yet of um, not just Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but of Marvel Studios uh, TV on Disney+. Plus. So was this a case where, you know, to have the explanation and then the breakout or the breakout, then the explanation, was, did it just feel too long? And somebody said, wait, you can edit it. You can edit it simultaneously, even though clearly it's, um, you know, it's not happening at the exact same moment. Uh, regardless, it's a really effective way, A, as you said, to do some of that previously on the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. Um, and also, it's just a fun bit of, you know, Ocean's Eleven style stuff with uh, Zemo's book has the key card. Um, notes are given to two prisoners uh, by Bucky. He will kill you tonight. You know, so that gets a fight started, which then we're told in voiceover is going to pull more guards, you know, a, a, a disproportionate number of guards to the fight away from other things Zemo is able to get one guard get the uniform using the key card to get through doors this that the other and then the two stories converging but wait where are we with that Zemo walks in we are in the uh storage area turned garage where uh Zemo has escaped too and uh Zemo's ready to talk but gets shouted down by both heroes just in case you were unsure of the the power structure here and, and done tremendously here, uh, Daniel Brühl's comic timing. And that's one thing that he didn't get to show with Zemo in Civil War. And now to, to be, whether he is the titular power broker or not of this episode, another thing to chew over. But the idea that, okay, he can seem like he's possibly on this redemptive arc that we can have fun with him on this adventure that uh, we can be amused by him uh, apart from the, the dancing scene, which has already become its own meme. 
uh, is is just fun stuff. Longtime Fantastic Geek listeners, of course, will recognize that any time that there is welding done on screen, that is code for bad guys. But uh, people who enter through plastic curtains is code for good guys. So interesting <laughs> that they have him come through. That. Uh, we have Bucky reminding Sam that Sam broke the law in Captain America Civil War, and Sam's ready to let Zemo party with them as long as he follows their rules. So where do they start? Then, Pete, my notes say title something card. I won't say what the something is, but this was one heck of a action-packed teaser act to sit and go, where do they start? Boom! The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Are you ready? Wait, not for just more episode, but this was just the beginning, this first seven to nine minutes. Yeah, and it's funny as I watch this very early Friday and, you know, occasionally checking the time in a movie theater, to me, that's a bad sign that if you're checking your watch. Here, I tend to check, like, how much do I have? Because we know that it ends and then there's seven minutes of credits. Um, but it, it felt like very evenly paced, quickly moving 10 minute segments that that, that was happening for me. Uh, the, the first move here, not the Grand Theft Auto. Of course, all these things owned by Zemo. Again, trying to establish him not as a thief, but as somebody who... You know, though you mention, all right, the the distinguished competition and the idea of Batman being wealthy as opposed to having a superpower, um, but that the mask is in the car, um, which he places in the bag there, not being seen by Sam or Bucky, the iconic purple mask from the comics then uh the super serum subject and that he doesn't want more people like the avengers so of course he wants to see this through not leave his work unfinished and they will start of course with this uh woman named selby a mid-level fence uh and then scale a ladder of low lives Pete, this scene caused some consternation on some uh, lower-level entertainment websites because it completely rewrote the Zemo background. Uh, because, Pete, he was merely an intelligence uh, officer when we first met him, and now he's a former intelligence officer who has a rich family. To which, Pete, I would refer viewers to your favorite British prince. I refer, of course, to Prince Harry. You look at the footage of him in Afghanistan and whatnot. Okay, he's one of the princes uh, to the to, to the British throne, and also could go and do his job in in a military setting. To me, there is no retcon here of uh, Zemo into Baron Zemo. He's a guy who had a past that was not important to that particular story. Uh, although one might wonder how he got access and technology and and all those bits and bobs to do what he did in civil war uh or if you don't wonder that then you write an article about how they've completely uh rebooted him or retconned him to me this is all in line with the again the very slick the very smart the very capable character that we met low all those years ago i think sam is a proxy for the audience oh wait you were rich this whole time oh 
okay then like it's it's believed and again we're dealing with a realistic comic universe but at the same time it's not unbelievable so that he gets on this private jet which by the way there's some age on the private jet and then what else do they do too matt oh the uh the fridge isn't working and there might be some food in the galley so it's not as if they're uh not worse for wear in terms of what's gone on um you know his his wealth had limits it didn't suddenly pay for somebody to crack him out. I mean, he's been in jail for eight years. <laughs> Plus or minus the dusting. I guess we don't know one way or the other. But um, add to this, Pete, this notion of the uh, the faded glory a bit with the, the fantastic butler. Pete, there are no small parts, only small actors. And the gentleman playing uh, Ozik, the butler, uh, is, is not small here. Just selling the notion that this guy started buttling. Was it during the Korean War, World War II, World War One? I? I don't know, but he's clearly. I uh, want. I want the uh, Bruce Wayne, uh, Alfred story out of the two of these guys. <laughs> I but but I obviously with with the Zemo overtones and you know I remember when I bought you your first you know dagger. To kill somebody with <laughs> uh pete sounds like you're you're calling for the return of uh one shots on the dvds uh, oh wait we might be past that in a couple of regards um there is uh a line here as uh as zemo settles into some of the the pete it's probably not champagne it's probably a sparkling white wine okay thanks wayne's world i know the difference um, but there's the line here, you don't know what it's like to be locked up in a cell and kind of the side eye to Sam. Oh, you do. I know, Pete, that that is squarely within the world of the MCU. Me personally, and feel free to disagree, it also, I kind of felt like there was a slight sort of kind of like social coding, like, hey, Sam, of course somebody likes, like you knows what it's like to be locked up in a cell. Did you pick up any of that? Or again, is this I just square it MCU? best that it's not over the top. Yes, he was incarcerated. He was on the raft. Uh, but to say this to a black man in 2021, uh, I think it's it's something that best left not. Hey, let's let's go into that subject. Uh, interestingly enough, that Zemo in a moment piles on Bucky about Trouble Man with the comprehensive. Uh, you know, complete African-American experience embodied in that album. And then that Sam says that Zemo is out of line, but he's right, which to me is the exchange of the episode in, you know, a lot of ways, the best episode to date in terms of the interaction of our characters. And I think all of these things fall under the umbrella of, for lack of a better word, this is kind of the Zemo pilot episode. This is where we need to see him, you know, on the rooftop saying, away web, fly web. Like this is, this is a, a, a cool and calm way to say, what are Zemo's superpowers? He doesn't have superpowers. He's got some wealth behind him, but he's got his brain. He's got the ability to manipulate people, to work with people, to turn people around and so forth. Um, and yes, there's these other kind of character connections to it, whether it's the, the callback to Trouble Man, whether there's the, the social importance uh, of that work and so forth. Um, 
but add to that too the fact that Zemo somehow has gotten a hold of Bucky's list of names people he's wronged as the Winter Soldier that's made I think it was clear but it's made clear again um new I believe at least new to me Pete is the fact that Sam recognizes that booklet as the booklet that Steve had so I just love this notion here that that you know where Steve was writing down interesting things about the new world Bucky is trying to he's using the same booklet to try and navigate out of the old world to merely exist in the new world not to revel in the newness of uh, of all that's around him it's a nice handoff in terms of what was previously established um and that Zemo again with the hooks out yes who is this Fukujima so to me my heart's already breaking that Zemo's going to be the one to somehow let Yuri know that Bucky killed his son. I, I think it's unfortunately a great prediction there because what do you get out of it? You get character, you, you get character moments out of Zemo. You, you get to have his meanness restated. You get, um, you know, Bucky needs to make this resolution here. So, so one to, to stick a pin in for now. Uh, Zemo talks about the danger of putting super soldiers on pedestals, how it can get out of hand. Not only is he talking about more recent events, makes reference to maybe not that other super soldier, but that person, that other person who was uh, put on a pedestal that Bucky had to go fight. No, wait, we're not talking about the other guy in Germany. We're talking about Red Skull, of course. Um, but ultimately, uh, we get reiterated for us. We're headed to Madripoor, a pirate sanctuary in the indian archipelago pete i i know my marvel comics i mean i don't have a huge i have a a modest marvel comics collection from youth compared to dc um i i've seen the x-men animated series etc etc madripoor was new to me and you know if i can borrow from another marvel property in terms of story sense madripoor a magical place (laughs) Uh, a lot potentially connected there that we'll uh, go into much more deeply in the theories segment, but uh, headed there, this skull Island, like legendary place, uh, you know, pirate sanctuary stretching back to the 1800s kept its lawless ways and they can't go in as themselves. So what's the upshot? James is going to have to pretend to be somebody he claims is gone, which we're still not fully sure about because that's the way that the show wants us to think about Bucky. Um, And the other identities that we'll talk about in a minute, but let's head to the GRC resettlement camp in Riga, Latvia. Indeed, Pete, we have Carly and Dovich and the others. They're putting their heads together for a little bit of a chat fest. But more pressing, more personal uh, news. Shouldn't Carly be with her now? Uh, Clearly a maternal figure who we will get to know a bit better later in the episode. Uh, Carly kisses her goodbye. And if nothing else, Pete, this brief scene, another reminder you know, here we are, by the end of this episode, we're halfway through the season. The notion that Carly will be the big bad and that we should say, you know, uh, that, that the, the Flag Smashers are indeed a proxy for, uh, you know, right-wing insurgents and things of that sort. No, it's time to let go of that theory here. 
whether it's a mother figure or or an adoptive mother or whatever, young Carly is saying goodbye to a mother. There's nothing but sympathy here, and among or or, or in addition to the the character uh, benefit there of you know we learn a bit more about Carly, um, we're just more sympathetic to her. It's clear that's what the story wants us to do. To this point, retconning the comic character of Carl Morgenthau as a woman hasn't really been fleshed out. And now to build in this maternal influence, there's clearly a Flag Smasher version one uh, homage with the necklace or the pendant, whatever it is that's being held as uh, the vitals are, are ticking down. And Carly apologizes for whatever it's perceived that she may have done wrong. But from there, we head to the gleaming neon city visible from the harbor and then the bridge here. Uh, Sam uh, lamenting that he looks like a pimp, but just another great Zemo line here. Only an American would assume a fashion forward black man looks like a pimp that he's a sophisticated charming african rake named conrad mack aka smiling tiger uh all of which deep cut comic reference i mean it's just a wonderful scene including there's something affirming and disrespectful at the same time again from zemo that he is kind of decoding the social politics here in a way that I think is is ultimately meant to be accurate uh and in the process uh you know essentially is saying don't be so American guys you know kind of he's being he Zemo is being worldly and continental and uh and, and colorblind all in one delicious thrust of you know wait he just made fun of me was it once or twice how, how many times um he he by the way reminds uh the trio there to stay in character there over there that's high town where there's all the good stuff but we're headed over to over there low town um the car picks them up in dramatic fashion and they get escorted by uh, motorcycles there's this whole weird sinister air to it ultimately though pete director carrie scogland here the camera work excels in bright neon blues in sinister reds to show us that this is the Ultimately, we're headed to the coolest club since the MCU went to Korea. And Pete, if I could be permitted a bit of a dig at the Distinguished Competition, a reminder too that sometimes you can use bright colors in a comic book thing and it still can be menacing and mysterious and uh, everything doesn't need to be a drain upon the eye. Well, Matt, Batman Forever would, of course, disagree with you, but... Uh, a, a mask is visible in a shot of one of the motorcyclists. So we'd speculated and they were in um, Prague. It, it remains to be seen whether this was shot in Prague and clearly Prague can stand in for a lot of international places, surely the rest of this episode. But uh, the lockdowns, of course, moving through Europe earlier than obviously started in America around this time last year. Uh, So could have been done then, might have been a pickup, remains to be seen, but an interesting 
bookmark in terms of this scene. Uh, they're headed, of course, to the Princess Bar, another uh, comic reference, big hangout of uh, the Wolverine. Um, and uh, we get some Filipino rap, Matt. That's definitely a first for the MCU. And indeed, there's also some Filipino in the credits. The Flag Smashers um, mantra is there in Filipino. We also see, uh, before we formally enter the bar, the club, uh, we see the graffiti power broker is watching. In the bar, uh, Zemo calls Bucky the Winter Soldier in order to be overheard, and it's overheard. The bartender recognizes uh, Sam as Smiling Tiger, and the usual is ordered. Uh, with that, the bartender, Pete, wearing gloves, okay, because hygiene is important, grabs a snake, uh, which I think was meant to be, was intended to be dead on screen, uh, guts it, puts an organ in a glass with liquor. Uh, Zemo gets something else, presumably uh, more palatable. Uh, glasses are clinked, and after a moment where we can see Sam is kind of psyching himself up for it, uh, he, he downs the drink and gives a thumbs up. Pete, I never quite saw the swallow there of liquor and uh and snake gut but uh eventually sam speaks so i guess we can assume that that happens off camera the the insistence of first by zemo oh your favorite and then uh smiling tiger insisting he loves these uh <laughs> is great and the the thumbs up i i think ruining it with a, a spit take of oh they didn't see that and i spit it out that he has to uh ingest it and uh kind of exhale afterward not in the way that you do after an adult beverage you know but in the way that oh i got through that um but then a man comes to zemo and says that there's word from on high that you ain't welcome here he has no business, Zemo tells him, with the power broker. If he, male pronoun applied to the power broker here, which definitely bears some interest moving forward, uh, if he insists, he can come and talk to him. Or, and then a look at Winter Soldier there, that the new haircut is noted. Uh, or they can get Selby for a chat. And uh, the king of Madripoor is checked as the uh, the power broker here. Uh, do you know him? Zemo is asked by Sam only by reputation. Madripoor's judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, but with that, another man comes over to Zemo. The Winter Soldier is activated for attack here. Uh, sadly, it winds up on camera phone and Matt, as I've tweeted and I'm, I'm concerned, forget what this does to Bucky's pardon. Okay. Dr. Raynor is going to kill him for violating rule number two. Yes. The shot of, uh, smartphones recording the fight was uh, conspicuous there. And as it is unused in this episode, you can only assume that it's going to be used in the future for that fight it was uh, a bone jarring fight kudos to the hard metal punch sounds maybe that's been around the entire time for the winter soldier i don't know but it was it was uh, audible here and just a nice a nice little addition there um 
however, the fight over still, there's kind of a round two is, is implied as guns are cocked, but Zemo calls off the fight. Um, the bartender saying that Selby will see Zemo now. So kind of a, a mutual pause on both sides there. Uh, our, our trio, nay, Pete, our heroes, can we, can we call Zemo a hero? Uh, move deeper into the bar slash casino. Red neon lights continue as they make their way uh, to the back. And when we meet uh, Selby, uh, she's not a happy camper, uh, but Zemo is here for an offer nonetheless. Um, Selby does note that Smiling Tiger is taller than she thought he'd be. Uh, regardless, Zemo wants uh, to get some. Pete, what my notes call SSS, that's the Super Soldier Serum, info. Uh, and in exchange, Zemo will trade the Winter Soldier along with those uh, keywords to activate him. Uh, now, Pete, stick with me here. Selby notes that the serum is here in Madripoor. You'll need to see Dr. Wilfred Nagel. Um, he's been working on the serum, and Zemo asks if Nagel is in Madripoor. Can't we infer? I mean, I know maybe I'm taking these notes on the benefit of having watched this multiple times, but can't Zemo infer that since the serum is in Madripoor and Dr. Nagel made the serum that Nagel's around too? Or is that dialogue there just to make it abundantly clear? I don't know. I think it's just a little bit of redundancy there that he's working on it for the power broker. He could have been doing it elsewhere and maybe they ship it in. But things had not gone as planned. Uh, which is later explained for us in the episode, he blipped away. Um, so the the great line out of the Australian actress here that we're going to draw some larger connections to in our theory segment, uh, the breadcrumbs they can have for free, but the bakery's going to cost you. Uh, and at the height of this scene, to, to cut that tension that Sam, Smiling Tiger, receives the phone call here from Sarah that he's made to put it on speaker and that the situation with his sister here, uh, what are you high? She asks about the damn boat and then, uh, you know, needing to make it seem uh, malevolent. Oh, the bank. Yeah. I laundered so much money. (laughs) This was a particular part of the story that i did not care for oh i I loved it i I mean look obviously there's a certain convenience to it okay you're telling me that in this day and age sam doesn't know to just put that phone on silent before going into this high tension meeting it sells it and as you know one of the avengers that lacks power um i think they really humanize sam well with this dilemma in particular here is a man who is uh you know rolls with the avengers what discussion this has brought up matt over the last three weeks about the economics of being an avenger like did stark pay them were they the governmental contractors okay this guy you know puts on the wings and does stuff with thor and then he goes back to delacroix and uh, they don't have enough money to have this boat and this business, and it's a struggle, and it it works. So you know what? That's fine that he forgot to put his phone on vibrate before they went into this big meeting. It's believable. And ultimately, Sarah saying, "Sam, let me call you back." That's the big tip off to Selby that something is not right here. Um, 
And well, the she, real the real problem is that the nephew left Cheerios someplace, and that spoiled the whole damn thing. Pete, what's a what has contributed more to the story? This bowl of Cheerios or the rat in uh, in uh, Endgame? I mean, I mean, they're, they're one and one a. There you go. It's all about the details. Um, Selby orders them killed, and then quickly gets the bad end of a sniper shot. Um, Zemo says uh, that they should, the trio, should drop their weapons. There's already a bounty out on them. Pete, I would expect nothing less from a pirate refuge. Do you know how much a thousand Bitcoin is in terms of physical value? Pete, I did not even know that that unusual affix was the affix for Bitcoin. But please do the conversion for me. You're not a, you're not a bro. Uh, yes, yeah, so that was approximately sixty million dollars in terms of current real-world value. Remember, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, not a physical thing. Although there are apparently morons who will actually three D print out of metal a Bitcoin. That's a whole area of the real world that I don't <laughs> understand. I feel like I I understand Dr. Selvig's. Uh, Dude, um... you know Zemo is diversified into crypto. Oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. He's got he's got old French wine hidden away. He's got a couple of lesser impressionist paintings. He's got cryptocurrency. He's a, a, a minority Dude, he's shareholder got a in massive Tesla. Massive vinyl uh, collection. Yeah. yeah. Um. He he's he's got the only pressing of the Beatles Purple album. People don't even know it exists, but he has it. Um, anyhow, it's time for our heroes to run. There's a great line, but Sam's in heels. Um, still, the mysterious sniper takes out two more. The sniper up on a second or third story. Two seconds later, there's Is the reveal. Is that the same sniper, however, I think does bear questioning. We don't see who gets Selby with the one shot. And this was, you know, non-TV code because she got the one shot through the chest. Selby is definitively dead. Um, but we do see the hooded figure with the sniper rifle in a different location. Not saying it's not the one that, that did in Selby, but I think we're sold here differently. Yeah. I think on multiple views that I think that we could be rightly surprised to find out that the sniper, find out next week or whatever, to find out that the sniper was not Sharon Carter. Um, even though we're having this discussion, I think that we would be surprised to learn that. However, it is a little amorphous, particularly since, as I was pointing out, the sniper is on at least the second story and then literally like one Mississippi. B. Later, Sharon Carter's on the ground. Hood off. Dramatic reveal. Sharon Carter, you may recall that you cost her everything on account of stealing Steve Shield and Falcon's wings. She had no backup and now lives off the grid of Madripoor. Um, Matt, it's a, it's a handy recap. Her father doesn't even know where she is. And this is, this is heavy lifting as far as exposition that comes across in the moment effortlessly. A hundred percent. I mean, it, it's helped by the situation, which is they have not seen each other since the last time they saw each other. So she can give the quick recap, but it's well acted here. Well presented. She's uh, so angry. However, she has a place in high town to lay low. 
cut to the place in Hightown to lay low. It's a fancy gallery. No, no, not fakes. She's got the real ones. Meanwhile, the Louvre, uh, half the stuff in there is the fake stuff. It's true. It's true, we're told. Um, Sharon <laughs> wants them to move along. However, it's time to change. Uh, we get a little bit more dialogue here. Doesn't Sharon want to come back home, you know, if she needs like a story want to create some sort of arc in the story across multiple episodes? No, no. She'll be locked up if she returns to the U.S., at least right now, Pete. Um, and then we get her also reminiscing bitter uh, about the uh, the hero stuff. Sam must know that that hero stuff is hollow. After all, he gave up the shield. Yeah, they do some great stuff here with Sharon. Though Bucky laments that she's kind of awful now, uh, the jaded nature, which could potentially set up a power broker turn uh, and quite a few other directions that this could take with the way that we leave uh, Sharon in this episode. Uh, but the, the key idea is that Madripoor doesn't allow extradition, which is a comic notion as well. So this is a safe harbor to uh, you know do bad things. They can't take you out of here. That's why she you know, hung up her hat there um, that uh, Bucky was Mr. America, that he was Cap's best friend. So he subscribes, though he might, you know, feel jaded and that Sam made a poor decision in giving up a shield, that uh, it's still this hypocritical notion and that they have these eight flag smashers run around with super serum at least that they know about right now and uh that uh they've got this name of wilford nagel uh which sharon immediately knows oh he works for the power broker um so they need her help that sam can get her name cleared that they got bucky pardoned uh so that she could potentially be in line for such a uh, pardon, a, you know, uh, forgiveness, if you will. Uh, So we got these connected people coming in, lay low, blend in. Zemo definitely don't dance. (laughs) Cut to the party, quite a party, where Zemo is dancing, Pete. Um... Officially winning the Marvel white boy dance off from peter parker uh in spider-man 3 pete they said it couldn't be done they said it would never be topped uh but it was uh then we're at the next morning where the trio plus sharon are at a shipping yard looking for a particular container uh 4261 pete i look forward to you doing a numerical analysis in the theory (laughs) segment to explain what that spells or how it's a reference or whatever well hang on are you ready Sure. Four plus two is uh, six. Middle number is six. Uh, number one. Okay. Uh, this is clearly Mephisto, Matt. This is Mephisto's <laughs> container. Okay. It wasn't Dr. Nagel. It was Mephisto. There you go. Dr. Nagel is Mephisto. Got it. So is um, Zemo and Sharon Carter and the power broker uh, and Carly Morgenthau. <laughs> uh, and Carly Morgenthau's uh, number two guy and then one other person that number equals six pete so it all it all tracks 
Uh, Sharon hands out Avenger-style earpieces, uh, which make it easy to just put your hand up near your ear and say, wait, what was that? Um, they enter the container. It's empty. Kudos to these three battle-hardened vets who spread out. Bucky is minding the exit while Zemo forges on ahead. Um, I was kind of expecting the door is going to quickly close, but again, the way they're spread out, they're preventing that. Um, Zemo pushes open, open the false back, reveals stairs going down. Uh, they're in a lab. Music is playing. Nagel singing along. Uh, the, the the record uh, is uh, the arm record needle thing is taken off the record. He's surprised to see the three of them there. More surprised to see the Winter Soldier. Sam says that Nagel is a smart guy who's about to talk fast about all this stuff. Uh, but no, no, no. Nagel would like to give a better offer here. Intercut. Sharon lets them know that more baddies are inbound. Whoa, she whoa, whoops. whoa, whoa. Bounty hunters, Matt. That every bounty hunter in the city not named the Mandalorian is going to be there. Well, thank goodness, Pete. She whoops them good with her baton, Mockingbird style. Uh, and uh, that buys them some time. She even knifes a few of them with Pete, that trademark Disney bloodless move here. Nobody bleeds on the mouse's watch. Hang on, though, because I think this might have been the most violent uh, and and bloody fight that we've seen in the MCU. I mean, there is stabbing of people. She's really bloodied up at one point. It's sustained like this. While this episode has the lowest rung action sequence of the three thus far, and I think that's high praise given the aerial scene in the first one and the truck scene in the second one. Uh, this was pretty brutal in terms of physicality. Oh, it definitely was. And uh, high praise as well to Emily Van Camp, who does a lot of the stunts. Pete, I did spy a little Texas switch. That's where the actor moves out of the frame and a stunt person takes over on one shot. You can usually tell when a stunt person has taken over because not only are stunt people... Uh, incredibly, you know, resilient and talented and whatnot. And what I'm about to say is no joke. They also know how to do a stunt and to keep the wig covering their face, which happens towards the end of one of these tumbles here. By the way, Pete, a quick uh, tangent, if I may. One of the stunt people for Sam, uh, who has been doing MCU stuff for quite a while, uh, he showed up on a YouTube thing that I'm subscribed to, uh, and he was on there six months ago or something, and his statement was that after the Falcon and the Winter Soldier uh, season one uh, was done, this gentleman was going to be retiring from stunt work because he was being so worn down by it, as one does. So Pete, almost a physical necessity to retire from active stunt work at the age of 39. Let's just consider how difficult it is to be a stunt person and to give up your body to a, to a thing where if you're good, uh, people just think, uh, that's that's uh that that's the actor that's Emily Van Camp that's that's you know everybody on down the line that they they'll never notice the stunt performer. They'll they'll never know it because they actually really kill people during these shoots, right? <laughs> well, maybe it's not quite. Hopefully, it's not quite that far. Otherwise, that might make uh, Disney mad. But Pete, take us back to the lab. So in this lab here, we find Doctor Nagel. Uh, and the exposition less weighty 
in terms of just establishing the timeline uh, that he was brought in by Hydra after the five failed test subjects in Siberia. So referring to the events of uh, Captain America Civil War, uh, that Hydra fell, uh, that he was recruited then by the CIA and that he got blood samples from an American test subject and the connection later firmly established that that was indeed Isaiah Bradley, the black Captain America that we'd seen in the previous episode. Uh, Semi-stable traces of serum in his system that the isolated compounds there uh, were were found, uh, that he did what no other scientist had done since Dr. Erskine, you know, what made the Captain America Steve Rogers. But his is going to be different no clunky machine, no jacked up bodies. So, you know, you look at Carly Morgenthau and you say, she's not a super soldier. And then she kicks Bucky into the truck behind them. Uh, so what it also does is establish that uh, with the vials and we're told a total of 20 vials so we've got eight that are active we can assume one is now died in the plane stall maneuver last week so we're down to seven and potentially up to 12 more and that's allowing that there isn't you know banana banana more serum floating around created by somebody else that's either going to wind up in the hands of a john walker or a baron zemo or Sharon Carter, or whomever else might use it, and it not be apparent that they are super soldiery. Added to this is the involvement of the power broker, who of course was happy to help Nagel after he was dusted and then came back and found the project abandoned. Uh, with the stealing of the vials, the power broker was not a happy camper. Uh, intercut to this is uh, Zemo feeling for a hidden gun. Uh, Nagel also name checks Danya Madani. Pete, I immediately was thinking of Agent Madani from The Punisher, which took well, me on a I, bit I of a... I think that's a secondary uh, situation to talk about, absolutely. Um, and here is, here is a portion of the story where I think things are a bit bear just in terms of the connection between Danya Madani I don't know if she had been named thusly in the Carly has to say goodbye to mama scene later on she's referred to as mama Danya I think the Madani name sticks out even if you're not making a Punisher connection but just this notion that the woman who died earlier is now being name checked and we're going to get more on her a little bit later I think that that is maybe not made clear with you know fireworks in the course of the entire episode and i i think as the best that it shouldn't be i think there's clearly another part of the story that demands a little bit more attention rather than oh you remember uh mama donya who started this and we're gonna do it all for her and that's the end of the role she has to play uh so i i think definitely more coming there but what happens in the later stages of this lab uh, scene here, Zemo feeling around for and finding a gun, uh, told that uh, 
uh, Donya Madonna, Donya Madonna, Donya Madani, who I think there is a little bit of a Madonna complex with, uh, that she's suffering from tuberculosis, which is typical in uh, these displacement camps in terms of overpopulation. Uh, Sharon continues intercut murder outside. Uh, Bucky asks if there's any more serum in this lab at gunpoint, of course. Um, And then on cue, as Sharon enters, Zemo kills Nagel before Nagel could say, hey, power broker, what's up? Ooh. Um... Yeah, it all happened super fast, you know, R.I.P. Nagel, R.I.P. With Sharon in the building saying, hey, we got to get a move on. Uh, the lab <laughs> physically gets a move on as a rocket is launched into it. Our heroes are knocked down. Uh, fire alarms, nay, European-style fire alarms start going off. Um, we can see that there is a further explosion building, you know, cut to vials bubbling faster and flames rising and so forth. Uh, clearly, it's time to run. Um, but where's Zemo? Uh, the lab explodes. Our heroes get out barely in time. There's a gunfight that, that to my mind, feels a tad long, um, but it is mixed with humor. Um, the Sharon like living here. It's not terrible. Bucky should have followed Sam because Sam came out first. It's the rule of every action movie. Uh, but Pete, meanwhile, take us to Zemo. Mask on, collar popped. What's he find? He's got the gun there. He sees the, uh, I believe it's a gas main or whatever with the gigantic wheel, which is story code for don't be anywhere near that or you're going to die. He uh, fires once, saves our heroes, comes down, drops a little bit, bit more uh, death out. They head down a uh, corridor there and into the safety of another container. Meanwhile, he takes his mask off and finds a supercharged Pontiac uh, convertible that he picks up our heroes with. Well, not all our heroes. Boo, boo, as Sharon says. No, she's staying. But get me that pardon, which itself is story code for. I'm not in the next episode, but I'll be in before the end of the finale when you get me that pardon and I can come home and see my dad. Uh, the boys drive off. Uh, Sharon meets up with her underling. Let's go. I'll tell you more in the car. They drive off. So Pete, everybody driving off. Being who's not driving away, we cut to Carly waiting outside of a wall. She's talking with her her uh, her gentleman friend there. Shouldn't she be taking the time to mourn? No, she says. She reminisces. She had hoped to be a teacher once, just like Mama Donia. Um, this world is ours. And we're going to give the strength to the kids in these camps. Again, lots of sympathy here for Carly, who's, you know, in calling Donia Mama Donia. It's, you know, the loss of a parent or parent figure. But what about that power broker? He's going to catch up with us soon. Uh, And the cerebral twist here that Carly's not worried. Since they have all the serum that there is, uh, the power broker will come, uh, come begging to them, make a deal. And as Carly says, that's that. The scene taking place in a different location in Vilnius, Lithuania. Uh, conspicuous, Matt, the gigantic red X on a blue background in front of this supply depot. Whether it is, hey, this is not an entry, or uh, Madripoor, X-Men, Wolverine, uh, yada, yada, yada. 
mutants Mephisto. Um, Pete, clearly it's clearly it's it's meant to suggest that uh, it's it's a satellite school for uh, Xavier's school for gifted and talented kids and so forth. With that, the story cuts to Walker, who you may have forgotten exists in this story, um, but he and Battlestar are in the German prison. Sure is hard to believe that Sam and Bucky would break Zemo out, or not that hard to believe, Walker says. He wants to run with this for a little bit. It's going to be off the books. Uh, after all, Pete, Walker doesn't need to worry about the rules as long as he wins Georgia. I mean, wins Carly and catches her. And that again hoskins is the one here to attempt to at least show him there's another way to go about this and nope come on lamar do you really think that uh if we get the job done they'll sweat us on the how on the plane ride home or at least to the their next stop sam is reflecting on the collateral damage for this whole this whole situation here sharon isaiah more maybe the shield should have been destroyed heck maybe sam will be the one to destroy it but says bucky not before bucky takes it from walker oh man pete as we wrap up the first half of this series it's like we're setting up some some goal posts for the second half as well um they get an update that donia is dead zemo changes course for them uh, then pete we head back to the Flag Smashers. They're loading up those unused goods that are needed uh, for the refugee camp uh, inside. Carly reiterates that she's fine taking uh, supplies for those who need it, and she's fine taking it from the GRC. With that, Pete, she's walking out, but she's not taking her car. Why is that? Oh, and buckle up quickly. Yeah, uh, having left prisoners and then blowing up her vehicle here, the only language they understand so we've gone from placing her in this nebulous nay more sympathetic area to seeing the turn back to riga latvia we go where zemo reflects on sokovia having been erased from the map uh did either of you two heroes visit the memorial uh the implication being no no okay um, they're about to enter the building to which they are headed, but Bucky, having having looked around with his eagle eyes, uh, he says he's going to go for a walk. Uh, Zemo and Sam enter the building, but the story stays with Bucky picking up a dark metal ball. Nay, Pete, a bead, as some might say. Uh, walks along, finds another. It's beeping, probably for the convenience of the story, but it's beeping, and he collects it. And then Bucky says to the air that you dropped something. And then, wait, Pete, behind him, who's that? Ayo! And of course she says that she wants Zemo. What's in your notebook about this episode? Pete, you've teased it a little bit. I want to get you on the record here since I I have my pen out and my notebook open. Uh, Is Zemo the power broker? I don't think it's Zemo. I think it's Sharon. Um, is there a way that it could be Zemo? There is. They they lay out the the pronoun as as male. Nobody's, you know. Oh, hey, that's the power broker right there. He certainly could have been the power broker from his German prison cell. I think making it Sharon 
is is honestly a better move if that's where they choose to go. I'm fine with either. What what I don't want is a, a Selby situation of here's somebody we're going to shoot in a way that you're going to know is important and then we will kill her in the very same scene. Hey, we got Ron Perlman for one scene. Oh, he's dead as the power broker. What could have been? Pete, I will I will argue against you. I think that if Sharon is on this redemptive quality, the the art market, the gray black market of 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 art, I think most of us would be like, I don't really care uh who owns the fifth best Monet in the world. Um so I think that's easier, you know, and she's beat up a bunch of bad guys or nay, probably killed eight to ten people on screen we forgive all that uh versus i think zemo is the real like for zemo for it to be revealed zemo the guy who was playing chess in prison has played his way out of prison and so on and so forth as the power broker and somehow he was brokering power from inside the prison i think that's more delicious than this was sharon's um this was sharon's attempt to get her life back on track uh, however, I will concede to you, either reveal would be a good one and frankly better than anonymous person. Well, let's talk Zemo for a moment here. The The big question is, can he be trusted? Um, there's the things we want to like, that he's quippy, that he's funny, that there's cuteness played in here that is meant to uh, make us like him. Um, but there is that specter of his past, of the horrible things that he's done, of the vengeance. It's a man who once attempted to take his life that T'Challa prevented, that the living weren't done with him yet. So is it conceivable that he would have this second career as a power broker again from that prison uh, certainly possible. Um, the idea that nobody would know who's doing it, that, you know, what zigs more, that somebody who didn't want super soldiers is actively funding the recreation of the serum. Marvel is very self-aware when it comes to predictability but not in a way that, well, we're not going to do this because somebody could have seen this coming. It's never out of left field. The Hydra thing um, always made sense. The, the trappings of power, the feeling of security, and then, boom, we were in S.H.I.E.L.D. all along. You, you just couldn't see it. Um, so I could definitely see it being him on the Sharon side, with all the things that they talk about. And again, to defeat the expectation of, well, the power broker is a he, and he is a king, and she lives in Hightown, and she's got all the art. Um, but, you know, she's got this assistant that is, is driving her that she tells, you know, we've got a problem, actually a couple of problems. Uh, yeah, their names are Sam and James Buchanan, and uh, do not call me the power broker until we get back to my super expensive high town flat where we will figure out how to solve this problem. 
perhaps he, the power broker, shades of uh, the Matrix. I thought you were a guy. Most guys do. Um, and also, Pete, with you saying that the power broker is not going to come out of left field, I'll just uh, I'll just hang on to my Ozek the Butler is the power broker theory. I, I think I'll just put that off to the side. Maybe for now. the power broker we deserve <laughs> uh, the the most. We know that it won't be the smiling tiger Conrad Mack, and uh, you know this new Warriors comics credibility that they're bringing in here what marvel's also very good at is taking the thing that is so outlandish that we'll never ever be able to apply in the tv film environment you know smiling tiger being this amorphous animal looking you know guy and applying it to this setting and making it work okay you get your shout out you get your identification as this alias and we've now brought the comic into the the you know live action but not needed to do it in a over-the-top yellow spandex type of way so pete i'd like to get you on the record here with a two-part question which episode in which episode does Sharon return and in which episode is Sharon pardoned and able to go home? Well, I think we're going to see her in the next episode. I think if we're talking a pardon and I think that's also the potential to spin these expectations, this, so this is effectively Zemo's episode. So it makes a lot of sense that he could be the power broker. But it's also the one that she shows up in for the first time. So they're both in play. And, you know, the idea of a pardon for her might be small potatoes. You think of the arc and how long they've waited to bring Emily Van Camp back. And this not even coming up in this episode, Matt, as the niece of the now deceased Peggy Carter, that she could take this heel turn that she could become a villainous, that this could turn into an even bigger thing? Or could it be that I am the power broker and I had somebody recreate the super soldier serum so that I could get my hands on everything I could and that was a bid for legitimacy. I was going to turn it over to you guys. Um, I think that's an avenue out as well. Last one from me, Pete. What is the possibility, with there having been 20 vials, and with, logically, they're not going to continue to do uh, Super Soldier serum stories ad infinitum. Probably this 20 is it. Eight have been taken, leaving 12. Does some portion of that 12 somehow get out, somehow bounce out? Is it the source of MCU mutations in the X-Men sense? Are we looking at it here in a very small way? I know you happen to like this one that you've come across. I think this is the silliest way that mutants could be introduced. It is worth noting that Madripoor is a super mutant hotspot. Okay. That we even go and, and give the princess bar as a reference. Um, and the, the tantalizing notion of Wolverine, coming at some point but to think that it would be done through 
a, a chemical means man-made as opposed to something like the multiverse or uh you know background radiation and the blip and and something more mystical or even biological as opposed to effectively a form of pathogen um you know resulting in the in the creation in the appearance of of mutants so i'm really down on that one but matt um there's a name in uh, Steve's now Bucky's notebook, um, along with uh, Fukajima, that is L. Hudson. Um, it, that's an L for Lizzie. That could be Elizabeth Hudson. That is Wolverine's mom. And that the bar was a hangout for uh, Wolverine, other mutants as well. And then, Matt, that's when it gets really weird when it comes to Madripoor. Are you aware of some of the other things that connect with Madripoor? I am not. Okay. Well, uh, strap yourself in here because, number one, uh, in the comics at least, Madripoor is uh, built on the back of a giant dragon awakened by our friends in the hand. You know, Daredevil, Iron Fist... Oh no, Defenders. oh no, please no. <laughs> Defend me. Uh, and then it's also a place where um, live action universe Grant Ward, which then g- got spun into the comic Marvel universe, you know, Grant Ward of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, a big of- favorite amongst a lot of our listeners, like uh, like Jen Phillips, big Grant Ward fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, a member of Hydra in S.H.I.E.L.D., who later sought refuge in Madripoor and spent a lot of time in Madripoor. So very, very interesting connections now that Madripoor is a live-action setting. And it's one of those things where it's not the burden of this show to set up mutation, although it could. I, I, I continue to contend... If you're gonna, if your end point for mutants is gonna be something that that uh, in normal circumstances shows itself in the early teens and so forth, well, you then can't backtrack to, um, you know, Xavier's been around all this time, Magneto and so forth. So there needs to be for the MCU some sort of inciting incident to <laughs> to fast forward and to get those characters in place but it's not necessarily the 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 role of this show to make that happen similarly with madripoor i mean i think of sharon carter herself who's shown up in two maybe three of the movies kind of has you know has been a a background character in them uh with all this time in between maybe next week there's the madripoor magneto reveal or maybe five years from now is when the thing happens and mutants appear. And then seven years from now is the next time that we return to Madripoor. There's, there's all that flexibility there because of the depth of this, you know, this MCU and how it's choosing to adapt what it does out of the comics. And then we talk about Bucky here, you know, the specter of Zemo as somebody in the shadows whether or not he's the power broker remains to be seen but that he can utter these words 
and Bucky could potentially not be in control of himself. I think it's brilliant bringing the Wakandans back. I mean, let's be honest, first and foremost, okay? The buzz and just the excitement surrounding the connection to his part of the story, that he's got a vibranium arm here, and that he's spent significant time in Wakanda, that they have deprogrammed him now is that deprogramming thorough can he trust himself zemo is the one to test that and i just think sebastian stan in terms of what he's done without speaking at times in the early run the halfway mark of of this show has been brilliant whereas um mackie gets the lines and Stan gets the actions. Yeah, I feel between all the things I've watched and all the things I've watched for podcasts and whatnot, I usually see the the story clue seated halfway through that then you know is is uh, brought to fruition by the end. I tend to see that coming. To me, the Wakanda line in the garage was just a fun reminder of the largeness of the world. It's part of this larger scene that's there to kind of do a previously on without previously on. I in no way, in fact, I was even sitting there going, all right, these, these, these balls, they look like the, uh, Kamoye beads, but no, it can't like, I didn't believe it until all of a sudden the camera turns around and AO is there. Pete, too many people thinking that it was not AO, but, uh, hopefully you've all, I won't say we, cause I was clear that it was not, uh, that it was not, uh, the actress in high Guerrero here um but just a really really fun surprising turn and now it's like wait i thought this show was a certain had certain dimensions probably we're not headed to wakanda in the next three episodes but let's not forget pete the real wakanda is filming in the state of georgia the same as much of this show uh, was done so it's actually not that difficult if they're going to go from central europe to wakanda before heading back to the u.s to let sharon carter have her triumphant re- that's possible too and all of a sudden the scope of the show just opened up in in a way that i did not see coming actress florence kasumba is always going to be a trivia answer in that she was the first member of the dora melage to ever appear on screen in civil war and that she does so in uttering an iconic line there uh move or you will be moved okay to black widow natasha romanoff uh just sells the moment even more this is the second in command of uh, King T'Challa's personal bodyguard. This is no slouch in terms of showing up here, okay? It's not Okoye because uh, she's got to protect Black Panther, and given that we know they're not going to recast him, how that story's going to play out, and granted, they weren't dealing with the loss of uh, Chadwick Boseman when they shot this. So that was not a story decision made. Um, But to have AO show up here and to firmly plant the Wakandan connection, I think is really, really uh, wise in terms of being able to play around with that. And now that we know there's a Wakandan show coming, okay, which I'm not going to say we'll likely deal with the secession between or the succession, I should say, 
of T'Challa to either Shuri or whomever. I'm I'm really in the Okoye camp as far as rooting for her to become uh, the Black Panther. But, uh, you know, that's going to be meted out and, you know, get get Florence Kasumba in that show. If she's not in that show at this point, I'd, I'd be stunned. Pete, we will just keep our fingers crossed for that. It is kind of stunning to think, you know, we've been we've been looking forward to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier for so long. Uh, you know, I don't remember at what point it was officially announced and so on and so forth, but obviously the, the COVID delay adding to things. Um, but then now we have this coming. We've had WandaVision happen already. Loki's a handful of months away. Ms. Marvel and Hawkeye before the end of the year. It is kind of like, oh, right. They're just, they just announced that, that Wakanda show in the last several months and it's probably two to three years away and it's like here we are back looking into the far future saying day that show will be out but as for this day Pete what other theories are on your radar so what about the subject of Yuri floating out there this man is still alive that Bucky has developed this rapport with him and that he could find out that his son was murdered by the winter soldier. Um, I mean, Zemo's aware of the name now. Yeah. And I think it's, it's in questions like that, that you can look at the structure of six episodes and really kind of understand, you know, we don't need to have had Yuri physically in this episode. Uh, I don't, believe yuri was in last episode i think it was all all kept in the first episode just the first but just one. just the point being that you can set up the yuri situation in the first fully understand it you know gut punch that that the winter soldier took yuri's son and so forth uh have it mentioned again here in the third episode and then you can theoretically leave it for four and five and then resolve it in six it could be as late as that um, I don't think anybody would say, wait, I, I, you made me remember for five weeks that there was a kindly old man whose son died. Like, of course you're going to remember. It's just six episodes. It's just watched across five weeks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so the point being to bring it up here again at the midpoint, it's enough of a reminder to say that wasn't just a character thing. Like, for example, will Bucky go on a date with the lady from the bar again? Uh, maybe yes, maybe no. If ultimately that was a two-scene uh, job for her and there, you got the characterization out of it that you wanted because it was actually a Bucky scene, not Bucky and the lady, fine. This reminder here is to say we're circling back to Bucky's sins and his need, his therapeutic need, to resolve the situation, to make amends with everyone on that list, including his new his new friend. You don't need the show to tell you that... Bucky Yuri is the ship you want to sail on. Uh, that's true, Pete. I think we're all we're all Team Bucky on this one. Uh, maybe not Team Bucky for very much longer, Matt. Uh, Doctor Raynor is going to see this video of him in the bar with his fresh new haircut and his arm just absolutely brutalizing some Madripoor. Yeah, particularly since what was literally the last thing she told him, rule number two, no one gets hurt. Um, 
I think, too, I mean, we can now look back in retrospect and say, hey, almost certainly, Pete, you are correct. They're going to circle back to that line. And the fact that um, he has hurt people and whatnot, it, it brings it back not just to kind of the, I'll say geopolitical, although that's kind of puffing it up a bit, but the notion of like, oh, man, Bucky's going to have to something, something, the law, something, something, uh, per, you know, he, he got pardoned. Now he did more bad things. The fact that there's that personal thing, there's that person who will be the face of the law of consequences and so forth to be able to say, James, this is against what you're supposed to do as a rehabilitated, rehumanized creature. Uh, it's, it's all the more set up and... Pete, part of the reason I love this episode the most out of the three, I think it's, you know, yes, there's great action and there's globe trotting, so on and so forth, but we got the setup in the first two episodes and now we're just flying through things like this and we can see, you know what, Bucky's going to have to pay an emotional price later, but he can, uh, you know, he can charge the account now with that uh, metal fist. So Selby actress, Matt, this is Imelda Corcoran. This is an Australian actress so you have seen her before she of course was on lost something that matt is uh loath to publicize that he podcasts uh, the entire run of the show uh looking back at lost but uh this was a character uh she played abigail spencer who was the sister of a woman that daniel faraday uh, you know, left in a coma and her uh, medical needs needed to be taken care of. She was also, Matt, previously a member of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She played Dr. Goodman in Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1. She was one of the doctors that brought old Coulson back from Tahiti. I would look to the, the the connections and the cause there as yet another example of the Disney casting department, you know, knows who's cool peeps and they maintain relationships with actors and it might have been a while since Disney cast her in something, but she's right for this part and blah, blah, blah. Uh, however, Pete, I don't know, is this the secret key? Will the, will the question of does Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in its entirety or... In, in its latter seasons is it the same mcu is there a multiverse thing will it all come crashing down maybe pete it's with this actress and her multiple roles that, that that's the whole keystone and you figured it out and now that she's gone why couldn't that be the case that she was a, a madripoor you know underling after she went on those adventures bringing uh colson back uh but on her demise matt I, I need you to commit. Was it Sharon what done it? I think the show says yes. The show just not the, the show just does not do a great job of it. Um, and again, you know, to harken back to WandaVision, if this was a result of, you know, oh, if only they had gotten a couple more shots, but this is a scene that was spread out across the COVID break or, you know, just hey, we didn't get all the coverage that we needed to show Sharon jumping down the fire escape or whatever, or we cut that scene to keep things moving. That's fine. I think, I don't know. There, I would have liked some sort of signifying thing to make it completely clear. For example, 
the uh, the sniper has that butterfly tattoo on their hand. Oh, look, Sharon has the butterfly tattoo on her hand or something like that. I know that both were hooded. Indeed, Pete, maybe if we go back on a multiple, multiple view and pause the screen, you'll see, oh, it's the same hood or the same jacket or things like that. Watching it multiple times at full speed, there is some question to it, but I'm going to say that it was it was Sharon, sniper by night, art dealer by night as well, driving around in a fancy car driven by someone else by day person, power broker, question mark. So, uh, Donia Madani, we have Dina Madani from The Punisher. Uh, we have a sniper. Do we know a sniper associated with Madani? Ergo, Matt, the Punisher, John Bernthal Punisher, was on the other end of the trigger, at least for Selby. Pete, I'm dazzled at the possibility, improbable as it may be. My first thought does go to uh, our our uh, social media friends behind the hashtag Save Daredevil movement who just needed to wait until the two-year mark happened, then Disney would announce their plans. That has come and gone like six months ago at this point. Um, uh, but but wait, uh, Daredevil shall appear in uh, the next Spider-Man movie, some say, um, and therefore that's the reboot. April Fool's. All that aside, Pete. Well, all that aside, I do kind of like the. How about this way, Pete? While I think the show intends us, as I said, intends for Sharon to have been the sniper, uh, I'm going to have my own head cannon that she hired out some of the sniping to uh, to a rascal on the run. Uh, you know, John Bernthal's the Punisher. You know, the last time we saw Frank Castle, Pete, he was just machine gunning down a whole bunch of teenagers because the Punisher had tone problems and really didn't quite understand that maybe Frank Castle shouldn't mow down a whole bunch of teenagers with a machine gun uh, as the final the final uh, moment of that show. But Pete, in my heart, he did not kill those teens that day. And instead, he's been he's been a rascal who's uh, been hired for the forces of good uh, and has made his way to Madripoor to help out uh, the power broker. Or at the very least, Sharon Carter, art dealer. Sharon Carter, only the second most violent member of the MCU after Frank Castle, clearly as number one. But um, Zemo shooting Nagel before he even had an opportunity to get anything out as far as her being the power broker, I think really shifts it in her direction. It could, although it tracks internally for Zemo as, you know, wanting to stop the super soldier program. He did it the once. Turned out his work was unfinished. Uh, Dr. Nagel is only the second person after Dr. Erskine. Dr. Erskine, who's gone on to have uh, a wonderful show on CNN where he tours the foods of Italy with Stanley Tucci. Um, <laughs> but I digress. Here, this guy has brought back the... Uh, has brought back the super soldier serum indeed has made it better to me it completely tracks that zemo who wants all that stuff to be stopped here's a great way to take 20 vials down to 12 down to 12 then no more is uh to give the old lead slug to uh to the good doctor here and when we talk about the serum 
um, that it's been revised now to create a situation where you're going to look at people and not know they're super soldiers. And you establish early on in the run of this show, all right, there are normal people who have taken it who don't look like it. But now you've created the situation where there may be people who are also uh, t- taking it, have taken it, that we don't recognize. So whether it's going to be a walker, or I don't think they'd give it to Hoskins, or you know Carter, we still don't know the identity of the long-haired uh, person who had taken it. Uh, and we first saw on the camera phone video that Torres had. Could Torres take it? I mean, there's a lot of other people. There's balls in the air in terms of doing it. And, you know, that's what makes Disney in terms of this week-to-week model. I saw somebody lament on social media this morning. Why can't I just watch all of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier at once? Huh. Well, you can. And you know when you can? You can. On April 23rd, you can. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. And I had to explain, and and not in a high-handed way, but just like, all right, well, if you want to watch it all at once, and, you know, we're definitely clamoring for more, but that's rule number one in showbiz, okay? Leave them wanting more. But that definitively, and there's studies that show And why I think Disney ultimately went with the week-to-week model, it's not about subscription because they're number two behind Netflix. They brings it to you with very few exceptions all at once. It's the idea that the buzz doesn't hold over. It's the idea of the water cooler. And Matt, I mean, here we are having done all the Netflix Marvel shows, okay, Uh, and all the other Marvel shows across, you know, um, streaming here with Disney Plus and then broadcast as well. And the the greatest interaction, the greatest source of listenership always comes with the week to week in terms of well, what can we talk about and, and what is it that could be coming? Yeah, I think we are going to look back in five or ten years and we're going to say, that Netflix all-you-can-eat upfront model, that was the aberration, not that was the new model and the, the, the new change in things. It was a great way for Netflix to, differ, to differentiate itself. But, you know, Pete, he- heaven help the folks that are doing a, a, a fan podcast uh, of similar ilk to ours, but heaven help the people who are working hard on their Witcher podcast because when you're doing theories for episode 101 of Witcher, the most hardcore Witcher fans have already finished the season. So there's your, you know, oh, will so-and-so come back? Well, uh, yeah, the, the biggest fans already know the answer. So that's just going to deflate the fandom. Uh, versus, you know, there's all these tangential numbers, you know, that WandaVision is the biggest uh, comic book, TV, and movie thing in the last, you know, year in terms of streaming. Um, even relative to uh, to the Wonder Woman sequel, relative to uh, the Snyder Cut, that of course you know the Snyder Cut that brought us clean energy and uh, bountiful food on the table, and that, that just you know saved the entire planet for us. Um, so the model there is to have people discussing, to have people not just like oh pad out the subscriptions. Oh, I think that's a side, that's a real nice side benefit. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about having 
the society of people who are fans of the show be able to connect. And if you're not doing that because it's on Thursdays at 8.30 right after Friends, uh, then you can do that by, you know, you know that there's the premiere day of the show and uh, let me stay off social media until I've seen it. And if I only get to watch it on Sunday because of my, my work or home schedule, okay, then on Sunday I can say, all right, people, what'd you think? Where did I miss? What are the articles? And you can rejoin the community uh, by only being behind the one episode, not, you know, as I said, well, the biggest fans watch nonstop for 13 hours or for 10 hours and now you're left behind. Let's open your flip phones to get some feedback for this episode. Pete, we're going to start with our Twitter poll. The choices, one star, bet on a better hand, got 0%. Two stars, snake booze, got 6.1%. Three stars, got a dance, got uh, 20.4%. And then four stars, wah, wah, wowie, got 73.5%. Some tweets here, Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Polo1983. Baron Zemo is born and explained. Nice to see Sharon again, but who is she in league with? Uh, that we have a pro- uh, the we have a problem comment disturbed me. Also, we have Wakanda involved now. Zemo better watch his back. Uh, next up is our captain, Captain Noel Gardner. Bootleg Cap has anger control issues. Unsens- sensing a little power corrupts arc coming. Zemo in the Hannibal Lecter cell asking Bucky if the lambs are silent. Something's still in there. I have a suspicion I hope doesn't happen. Sam's not a spy. He proves that with the drink and phone. Sharon's art hustle is going to have me tracing the provenance of those paintings. Oh, yeah, I hope she does (laughs) research those things there. Uh, Zemo being rich works for me because it explains the resources he had in Civil War to pull off his plan. Well, I don't think Sharon is the power broker. I think she's connected. And Noel wrapping up by saying, I was trying to be sympathetic to the Flag Smashers, but Carly is stepping over the line. That end scene was amazing, and I think Bucky has been active as the White Wolf. So, Pete, I I think we had not focused on Carly killing 10-plus people uh, in her final scene. What are your thoughts there? Does that take the shine off her a bit? Did we see them killed? Well, we saw them need a bomb to make her point, and then the line of dialogue that it's the language that they understand, thereby not making her go fully to the dark side. I do think that's a possibility, but I don't think we saw her as a, as a bomber to this point. And now that she's done that, you know, it opens up everything that rightfully comes along with that. Uh, next tweet here from uh, Hal Hydra. That's at Hydra underscore lives. I like the building tension and the feeling the walls are closing in on our boys. Is Zemo really trying to help? Are the Flag Smashers really the bad guys? Who is the power broker? Will the Dora Milaje disrupt things to get Zemo? Will Captain Murica turn or help? <laughs> uh, we also heard from Steve the Burge. That's at Steve the Burge on Twitter. For me, this was a four. All Marvel all the time. Zemo mask, Sharon, Madripoor. My wife and daughters, however, checked out on this one. Lost the characters, needed too much background. So glad WandaVision was first. Hashtag sketchy Sharon. Uh, And we also heard from JT Atkins. That's at JTA is me. Nice of them to clear up the do we like John Walker question early on in this episode. Right? Do you know who he is, JT? You do now. (laughs) 
Uh, we heard from Jay Philly B. That's at Jay Philly B for fandom. As much as I enjoyed the first two episodes, this was, dare I say, fantastic with the PH Pete. So glad Zemo's back and getting under their skin. Bucky's million yard glares, uh, 12 slash 10. Uh, Karen, uh, Sharon Carter's kick butt return, 13 out of 10. Not my cap, ugh, living up to expectations. Uh, we also heard from AKA Frank Castle. Pete, not the Frank Castle, at least I don't think. Uh, but that's DJ underscore Black, BLAK357. So is Sharon Carter the White Widow? I'm here for it. Also, will she return? I hope so. Loving this show. Uh, Darren Bell checked in. Darren B46052059. I was searching uh, the backgrounds of every Madripoor scene, searching for Wolverine or Mephisto, winky emoji. <laughs> um, but actually, that would be fun, Pete. I think of. Um, I think of. Uh, Oh, oh! What was the the J.J. Abrams produced monster movie found footage? What was that? Oh, um, Cloverfield. Cloverfield. So there was the plan at one point where like they're on the bridge and they see somebody else with a camcorder. It was like leaving open the possibility of another Cloverfield movie that took place with other people and then they quickly well, cross re- just for the so moment. So remember, there's been three official Cloverfield movies. 10 Cloverfield Lane, and then there was the Cloverfield Paradox. It was the straight to Netflix, watch it tonight after the Super Bowl, when we just aired an ad for it after we shelved it from theatrical release like four months beforehand. But they're finally moving forward with a proper sequel. I'm not spoiling this for anybody, I think three years down the road, that end of the cloverfield paradox one the netflix one you see the monster uh for a split second um they're doing a proper sequel now so you know i mean really all that's left is for disney to just buy jj abrams and then you know they put madripoor on the back of the cloverfield monster Pete, so many people would be so glad to have J.J. Abrams doing more for Disney because uh, people were so happy with his with his last turns. Uh, on on uh, no, I I know I as was I, but I think that that would there'd be a certain you know Pete, the people who are going to hashtag bring back the Snyderverse would not be happy that there's more J.J. around. But uh, but I digress. We heard from Winter Falcon. That's at K C L Y L E one Sharon. So great to see her, and I was afraid this was going to be it for her, but that last scene certainly suggests otherwise. Fantastic, with a PH. Fight scenes, uh, nice, yeah, nice is two car scene. Um, not quite sure what Winter Falcon is saying there, but I mean, uh, the car, certainly... The... the car scene from the end of the episode and the callback to Civil War with not moving the seat up. Absolutely. And in fact, Winter Falcon says, uh, parenthetically, is that an Easter egg? LOL. So certainly enjoy, you know, a callback to our own discussions of, look, they made reference to Captain America. Is that a Captain America Easter egg and whatnot? That Anyhow, Winter Falcon the thing of like memeing, uh, you know, a, a character from this. This is an Easter egg to this. <laughs> uh, Zemo's mask was so cool. Never thought I'd see that in live action. Flag Smashers getting serious. If they want to go back to the blip, do they want to get rid of half half the population? They should have made uh, Latvia, Latveria. Can't believe it's 
half uh, over already. I feel like there's several balls in the air now, and it's going to be rushed to finish unless they go full hour episodes. Regardless, the show looks phenomenal. Great performances, familiar faces. It's great, and I can't wait for more. Make mine marvel. Pete, your thoughts there. Could Latvia be the MCU home to Doctor Doom? If we haven't already gotten enough, if we haven't created the X-Men and the Fantastic Four in this show, <laughs> can we get Doctor Doom? I know it's Fantastic Four, but can we get Doctor Doom as well? I mean, it's tantalizing. I think you got to let Latveria be its own thing. I don't think you can crowd Baron Zemo and Doctor Doom in the same story so closely together. I think it's a down the road situation. I'm a big proponent of the idea of um, Giancarlo Esposito as, as Dr. Doom, that fan cast being floated and, you know, he's finishing up with breaking bad. He's got a little bit more Mandalorian to do, and then it'll be good to go after that. We'll, we'll see. We'll hope let let Latvia be Latvia. Let Latveria be its own thing. When we ultimately get there, we finally got Madripoor. Pete, hopefully at some point in your future, you see the other thing that Giancarlo Esposito has been in in the last couple of years. I'll just tease that. Back to the tweets here. Bike BRH, said, Bike BRH says, three stars, it was fine, but not up to the high bar that Marvel sets for itself. Uh, Nathan Nolan Edwards, that's at Nolan Edwards, says, Wow, chills. I don't even want to comment. It was the perfect balance of satisfying predictability as well as a totally surprising twi- as totally surprising twists, plural. Uh, the perfect Marvel-y Marvel episode. Fantastic, with a PH. Uh, we also heard from John Jockson, that's at John Jockson 79. Really poor episode, in my opinion. The prison break was unimaginative and too far-fetched. I also don't buy Bucky would jeopardize his pardoning and align himself with Zemo. Just to find the creator of the serum seems like a stretch. Uh, Sharon's appearance at the right time, right place was too convenient. Also, after the death of Selby, you would expect the team to lie low and not frequent a busy nightclub. On the plus side, John, John Walker, Flag Smashers, and GRC advert scenes were spot on. So your thoughts there, Pete, on John's take? Definitely with the uh, the faux ad. I mean, that, and this is no uh, cut on your daughter's sophistication, Matt. She's 10, right? Yes. <laughs> but the idea that she was taken in by that ad, yet at the same time, there's just the slightest bit of cheese to it beyond the fictional references to half the universe disappearing last tweet here from spider ham lincoln that's at test lc 139 weakest uh weakest third of the first half in my opinion zemo was the best part of this episode but his prison break seemed far-fetched i work in corrections and kept thinking that wouldn't happen in a real prison etc i liked how zemo really danced the line between villain and reluctant helper you never knew also, I didn't get the point of him wearing his purple ski mask only for a few seconds before taking it right off. Pete, that might be because Daniel Brawl needed a close-up. Um, but back to Spider-Ham here. Nice to see Sharon Carter, but she was gone too soon. This former S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, agent is a bad ass, Pete. Uh, Majorpore, really hope to see Patch, Wolverine Paul, uh, Alter Ego, maybe someday, but that would have been a very clever way to bring him into the MCU without shouting, yeah. Look, it's Wolverine, everybody! Yeah, uh, the little 
the little we saw of Captain America wasn't just fine. The show's not about him or B.S. Hoskins. The jury's still out about the overall importance of Carly, but I'm confident she'll play a significant role. Uh, the Dora Milaje, Io, was a nice teaser cliffhanger. Interesting to speculate about what her presence means for the second half of the show. Uh, and lastly, Power Broker was the title, but we never saw the person. Or did we? Pete, I know you've offered options on both ends there. I don't know how you name the episode without having that person show up. So, like I said, I, I think we've made cases for both. Watch, watch it be Mephisto. <laughs> uh, Pete, what do you have over there on Facebook? Robert T. Frost, Matt, almost on cue, talking about John Walker, first had uh, let us know uh, that... Uh, there's been death threats made to uh, John Walker uh, actor Wyatt Russell and and he was asking if this is even real and sadly it is real there have been threats received by Wyatt Russell on social media people incapable of understanding that you know people play roles in fictional universes that sometimes they're given lines and actions that are uh, non-likable and this was even before the do you know who i am scene uh with everybody's favorite german hostel owner so uh sadly that is true um robert t frost went on to write here hello matt and pete to back up an episode when we saw Lieutenant Torres as Sam's on-the-ground intel officer, I thought that he was going to be a one-off character. But then we get more of him in the episode going undercover to learn more about the Flag Smashers, and then he acts as the jump master for Sam and Bucky when they airdrop into Germany in episode 102. So I decided to research Lieutenant Torres found he is a marvel character for lieutenant joaquin torres in the comics one lt torres is sam wilson's sidekick after sam takes the mantle of captain america and he possesses powers he was genetically experimented on and received real wings and talents a regeneration power and a psychic mind link to red wing so he and sam can mentally communicate I don't think that Falcon and the Winter Soldier will go that route, but maybe our one Lieutenant Torres will get some of this new super serum, uh, super soldier serum. Also, in the comics, Torres meets Dr. Claire Temple after being experimented upon. Now that would be an excellent crossover if we could get a Rosario Dawson cameo. As for John Walker, Steve Rogers jumped on a dummy grenade in the first Avenger, showing his inner character, whereas Walker used his helmet to smother four hand grenades, which I don't fault him for. One must use what one has to the effect, uh, the best outcome. And it was smart as he doesn't have superpowers. Even Steve used his shield to smother a grenade in Civil War, when the JSOC troops were assaulting Bucky's apartment. Uh, as for Walker's predicted fall from grace, will it be from his pride and arrogance at being Captain America, or will he be tempted to become super if offered a dose of the current super soldier serum? I wonder if the preview scene of Sam 
practicing with the shield is actually a flashback scene. Sam gives up the shield because it feels like it belongs to someone else. I wonder if he actually practiced with it to see if it could physically feel right to help it feel right in his heart and mind, but it doesn't. He then surrenders it to the museum, and because of that, we don't actually get Sam becoming Captain America until the very end of episode six to usher us into season two. It's a long time until Friday, but until then, stay fantastic with the PH, Matt, your friend, Bob. I hear Bob's words all through the the notion that now we're past the halfway point here. So I would agree, the first footage that we ever saw of this show, you know, two Super Bowls ago was, uh, you know, him, um, whether it was at the family home, but kind of in that Louisiana setting, uh, throwing the shield and we haven't gotten any of it in the first half so um, I would agree either it's a flashback or hey maybe they should have held off on sharing that footage because um, it's towards the end of it and it's him officially saying okay I'm ready let's go uh, similar with Torres you know is a Torres level character going to get the bump up from Super Soldier Serum in the next three episodes I, I tend to think no I think that Walker probably is a better bet although you know again how much time is there for it like walker is going to what become super powered himself so it's the hero with the same powers as the or the villain with the same powers as the hero in the big showdown or he lives to be continued there's some story options there as well i don't know that i'm i'm whole hog on it but i think this next episode will be very telling in terms of the pacing for for what's to come to Apple Podcasts, Matt, where we have a review from uh, Greg B that he made his handle on Apple Podcasts fantastic with a PH and fantastic with a PF. Uh, and it's uh, headlined absolutely fabulous with a PH, five stars. And it reads, Matt and Pete have instantly become welcome members of my brain's inner voice. I started listening to them with Picard and have not missed a podcast since. Even though Falcon, Winter Soldier, and Lieutenant America is not my favorite MCU product, not mind-bending like WandaVision, these guys do it justice with excellent analysis and pretty good predictive powers. Thanks for doing what you do so I can listen as I do what I do. Well, thank you for those kind words and... Predictive powers, let me just restate. Ozek the butler, power broker? Um, <laughs> I said it, Pete didn't. Last bit of communication on the old flip phone, Pete. We have an email from Mary Kirk, who says as follows. Okay, this episode was brilliant, just amazing, start to finish. Few thoughts. Do I love how they introduced the Baron to Zemo and the mask, useful for hiding your face when you're on the run? Well, yes. Yes, I do love it. Melding the comic character and the MCU character pretty much flawlessly. With the addition of uh, he was Special Forces, so he knows how to fight on top of it. This, uh, this episode released on April 2nd, Marvin Gaye's birthday. And in it, they talk about the perfection that was Trouble Man. I mean, they couldn't have planned that, but chef's kiss, utter perfection. 
Zemo, still not wrong. I mean, bad guy? Yes, he is, but so hard to argue with. And he keeps coming back through the episode when he could have bailed. That worries me a lot. That man is up to something. Carly, same boat as Zemo, all in capital letters. So sympathetic, not wrong about so many things, but then blows up people. That's not great. Sharon, so I think they were trying to make us think she's working for the power broker, or perhaps even is the power broker. But I think she's deep cover. I simply can't see a Carter turning bad. And the, up, uh, and the appearance of Florence Ketsumba reprising her role as Ayo from Wakanda makes me confident in my belief that Sam is getting a Wakandan upgraded Red Wing that will be 100% government oversight free in this series. Also, the music in this episode was killer. I need that song that was playing when they walked into Madripoor. Also, I noticed this episode was the longest yet. Not because it was slow, but because it was so good. I kept waiting for it to end. Can't wait for the podcast, and after that, for next Friday, always the perennial fan with a PH Pete, that of course, Mary. So we've got to right a wrong, Matt. There was a Guinness World Record given out to... uh, a gentleman this week who's seen Avengers Endgame some ridiculous amount of times in a movie theater, okay? As I posted on Twitter, this dude is playing for runner-up because everybody knows that Mary Kirk is the greatest living fan in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But wait, Pete, that's not all. Just before we were set to wrap up, we got a couple more things in the mailbag. What do you want to start with? One more from Facebook here. Matt sent to us by Victor Eng Thao Hing, and it reads, Hi, guys. Just saw episode three of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I love the social commentary. We see the United States standing in the world takes a hit and is tarnished so that other countries lose respect. The parallels to Captain America are clever and timely. The character turns of Sharon Carter and Baron Zemo have depth and subtlety that increases their complexity in a good way. The supposed villains, the Flag Smashers, have motivations we can understand and even sympathize with. This is the gray side of the MCU. Baron Zemo is a great character, no powers, yet formidable. Baron Zemo is Bruce Wayne triggered by a different life experience like we had called a little earlier in the podcast Matt but that's because our listeners they hear it before we air it I I love that idea that he's essentially a uh, uh, you know kind of Bruce Wayne gone bad um Perhaps that's not the the intention, but that's one way to interpret it. That's a that's a really great take, Pete. One more bit from Twitter on my end. Uh, can't leave out James the Sagacious. That's at Big Killen on Twitter, who says of this episode, loved it. Great episode, great pace. Every episode reveals more, but brings new mystery. Great cameo at the end, Pete. Look how he's being spoiler free there for the <laughs> uninitiated. Impossible to predict where, to predict where it's going since everyone has strained allegiances. Uh, which I think is a great point, too, that, you know, look, do I think Falcon is going to come out on this looking the best? Yeah, in fact, I think there's going to be a red, white, and blue suit for him. But could it be Bucky back to jail? I'd bet against it, but I wouldn't be shocked. Could it be Zemo dead? I think he gets to continue, but I would be, you know, I, I, I would I would uh, have my heartbreak earned if he was killed off and so forth. 
the knock on the MCU is consistently it has a quote unquote villain problem. I don't subscribe to this, but it's a consistent, you know, dig. Uh, they do not have a conflict issue, though. There is so much conflict between characters externally and then internal in terms of character motivation. I think it's handled really well, and I think that viewers connect with it. Well, you know, I'd add to that in a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour movie where you also need to, uh, theoretically, depending on where the where the movie is at, we need to introduce a character completely, you know, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, uh, as, as examples, the time that you need to spend to build their corner of the world, to take them from normal to powered and learn their powers and so forth, yeah, that then lends itself to mirror version of them is then the bad guy, uh, Iron Monger, another sorcerer, and so forth. Whereas when you have six episodes to do it, you can, you know, like, can we definitively say at this point who the villain is of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I mean, no, could be Flag Smashers or not, could be John Walker or not, could be the Power Broker or not, could be the GRC or not, and that that helps solve the villain problem. And finally, Matt, one more email here. This one from Sean Proa. He writes, Fantastic Fanther with the PH question marks? I think not. Gentlemen, before viewing Falcon and the Winter Soldier 103, I'm going to deviate from the usual communiques this week with a far out yet plausible theory about the big bad. Matt's like he's listening to our conversation here. Sure, it certainly appears that the Flag Smashers are enhanced, but it is the Super Soldier Serum and who is the Power Broker? Thunderbolt Ross? Justin Hammer? Nope. Knowing the MCU is interconnected, serial storytelling, I've been re-watching all the Marvel character films. Last night was Hulk 2003. In this film, Bruce's father, David, Brian in the comics, has been a scientist testing gamma rays on himself. His mutated genes are passed on to Bruce at birth. After Bruce has been hulking and captured by thunderbolt ross his criminally insane father demands a meeting with him criminally insane because he murdered his wife bruce's mother in front of him as a child on an army base with an electromagnetic array to somehow incapacitate bruce should he turn thunderbolt allows david banner to talk to his son but david confronts his quote unquote real son as he says not bruce but hulk he tells him in a maniacal over-the-top gary Busey style delivery that only nick nolte could drop then he gives a, a transcript to the scene uh with that uh nick nolte transforms into a full-on berserker absorbing man biting into the live electromagnetic power array cable poignant so if the power broker is aka brian david banner aka the absorbing man then perhaps he has given the flag smashers not a super soldier serum but allowed them to absorb some of the strength he has learned to harness since 2003 this is, of course, a complete break from Hulk 2003 and the comics, but a viable theory applied to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 
unlikely, but plausibility is important to me. P.S. By my count, there are 24 Marvel Studio films, 25 20th Century Fox films, and 9 Sony films in the MCU for all of us to enjoy. P.P.S. He had attached a 10-second clip here of uh, Nick Nolte's character displaying disgust with Bruce and the government. Precious. Stay fantastic with the P.H. It is interesting to think, particularly through the lens of you know, the weird uh, film rights relationship that there is with Marvel and Universal and the Hulk, where you can't do a solo Hulk movie that's completely off the table because Universal owns the rights, but you can have Hulk be a major supporting character in many of these movies and then take Hulk powers for the She-Hulk series with Mark Ruffalo to appear in it to some degree. I don't know if there's some sort of number like... You know, when Hulk is in less than 50%, then it's okay, but watch those minutes, because if it's 50.1%, then there's a lawsuit, you know. But I must admit, Pete, I had not stopped to consider, could Hulk powers, in addition to showing up in She-Hulk, could Hulk powers be another venue towards, whether it's Super Soldier Serum or or something else in the future? I think it's a great, great take. If you don't know it, now you do know it. And for some things, it just is the way it is. So I could not agree anymore, Pete. Pete, how can we keep this conversation going? How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 11,900 on the button, Matt. Followers can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P and the H, like it today. Well, Pete, I know as we look ahead to Star Trek's first contact day where we're, we've been promised many interesting secret things being revealed uh, I know that we will be podcasting that early in the week, so if you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, or if you're also are subscribed to our Star Trek feeds, you can keep an ear out for that. If you're here just for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we will be back next Sunday as we talk episode 104 of the series. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I can't run in these heels. <laughs> <laughs>